Welcome back in listeners to a very special episode of Whisper in the Wings. I am so excited to have our guests on our show today and to be talking about uh, our subject today. Joining us uh, currently all the way on the other side of the country in beautiful Seattle, we have Becky Baumwall, who is the artistic director of Broken Box Mime Theater, as well as a performer, and Tasha Milkman, who is the associate artistic director and performer with Broken Box Mime Theater. Ladies, welcome to Whisper in the Wings. Thank you. So nice to be here. We, I, I'm so excited to have you, and we're talking about your shows, um, BK, excuse me, BXBX Kids, Ask Why, and BKBX Frankenstein, which are being performed in rep when you come out here uh, from November 17th to the 20th at the theater at the 14th Street Y. And this right. is really, really exciting. Um, it, it's children's theater. Which I, if I've got that right, one of them, one of them is for intergenerational audiences. So that includes kids, and that's BKBX Kids Asks Why. The other one is for grownups. It's a main stage show, BKBX Frankenstein. Oh, perfect! But then, of course, it's all mime. Oh yes, that's right. And I'm <laughs> so excited because I feel like mime is such an underappreciated and also just like a, a lesser known form of theater but as as we were talking before the interview um it, it when it's done right it is just amazing it, you know to be able to convey story and words and feelings but but without words you know you purely rely on that that physicality and of course the expression of the face that all powerful expression of the face but of course, I, I, I myself am getting ahead of myself. Becky, <laughs> um, <laughs> why don't you tell us a little bit about these shows? Yeah, thank you, Andrew. Um, I'm so glad we have a mime enthusiast in our midst. Um, and Tasha and I are calling from Seattle because we're doing um, the this coast, the West Coast premiere of Asks Why here at Seattle Children's Theater. And then we're bringing it to the 14Y um, in November. So we're kind of testing it out over here with these audiences. And it's been really, really wonderful. Um, and we'll be back home in New York in a matter of days. Um, so yeah, okay, so these two shows have have different histories, but we're really excited to put them together. Um, Asks Why is a piece about racial justice and American history and big feelings. Um, it was written, it, it began the process of writing in 2020 after George Floyd's murder and the movement for black lives was all over all of our lives in a very front and center way. Um, and our artists were in quarantine at the time, you know, we were in lockdown. Um, because of the pandemic and we began writing which we can go into that story a little more but we began writing this piece back in 2020 um and finally it has its stage debut two years later the show is for audiences of all ages we kind of made a center point of about fifth grade but we hope that it, it starts conversations with those fifth graders grown-ups or just grown-ups that come <laughs> or little ones that come um we felt like it was important to, um, we wanted to be added to the body of work that is how do we talk to kids and each other about race and use our version of embodied storytelling to to enter that dialogue. Um, and then the other show, uh, Tosh, you wanna talk about the other one? Yeah, sure. A BKBX Frankenstein also has been something that we have um, 
yeah, like long dreamed of putting together. Uh, I think we we originally pitched the idea before the pandemic, and um, it's only kind of grown, I think, in in thematic resonance. Um, so a BKBX Frankenstein, the themes are really around um, technology and and um, and the monsters we create is is something we've been kicking around this idea of 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 monsters and and that that includes um like the climate change that we're seeing uh it includes some of the the issues that we're seeing in contemporary US culture um and how do we deal with how does we deal with the technology that we um that is such a center point in our lives these days uh so one of the stories that's at the center of B a BKBX Frankenstein is a sci-fi space opera um that really deals with uh this this the moment when creator meets the creator meets his or her creation. Um, so we have a, a character who, who of course, um, creates an AI uh, character that then um, uh, the story unfolds as 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 that as that artificial intelligence um, takes on a life of its own and and the the creator kind of grapples with what that means. Um, and yeah, as you said, uh, Andrew, it's it's really powerful to tell these stories without words. We, we find that the audience really can jump in to our stories in a way that's that's I think different than story than than storytelling on stage that includes language. Um, because as an audience member, when you're watching uh, when you're watching mine, you you really are in, invested in, in co-creating the story, you know, where we're, we're 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 laying the groundwork with our hands and with our faces and with our bodies, um, but the audience really has to contribute their imagination to to make that story you know come to life. So it's it's an exciting form. Um, I'll also just say about a broken box Frankenstein. It's our main stage work is comprised of short stories. So it's it's ten to twelve usually pieces that range from you know anywhere from about two minutes long to maybe fifteen minutes long at the longer end of our stories, and they all riff on a theme. So as I mentioned, the Broken Box Frankenstein is all about technology um, and and monsters and the realities we create. Uh, so you'll see stories that have to do with kind of the, the Mary Shelley themes of Frankenstein. And then you'll see stories that have to do with those themes, but are more of kind of a riff on those ideas rather than a direct adaptation of the of the text. That's so cool. Yeah, and I mean, the the... The one thing I, was, I, I really want to just keep pushing about the art form of mime is a lot of people, when they talk about these great moments in theater, they'll talk about, they could say a certain line that really got them, but it's usually accompanied with some movement. The moment someone just crumpled to the ground, the minute someone just threw something or they pointed and I'm like, yeah, but that's all that you get in mime. You don't get the word. You don't get this giant music with it. You just get this expression and they create the world around them, you know, and you, it, it's complete, it's the fully realized imagination. And it's yeah. so beautiful. And, and the entire audience gets taken with it. And you realize the power of imagination with that. To be able to be like, oh my gosh, you saw that entire real life space too? Yeah, with the vase and everything, you know, it's- Completely, yeah. It's our, our friend, Steve, we just got, we were on tour in uh, DC earlier this year and at Wolf Trap and Chaw, and um, we were 
to getting a beer afterwards with our friend Steve, who was like, I, he's, he's been following our work and a wonderful supporter for a long time. He was like, I deserve a beer after this show. You know, I did the props. I did the costumes. I was the playwright. I did, you know, and that's the vibe. That's the feeling when you see our show. It's like Natasha's saying, you fill it in yourself. And it's not a sort of like, um, laborious experience you sort of lean in the same the same like excitement that that you feel when you're playing a game or like solving a puzzle like inter put that into the theater experience when you're following a story and the lights are out and you're swept away into something and that kind of excitement is is what the invitation for the audience and I think what makes our shows so unusual and um and really affecting I love that. So you you both have kind of touched on this in the respective shows, but how did you come, um, how'd you come up with the idea of the shows? You know, mm-hmm. um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bounce between the two shows between the two of you. So Becky, um, in regards to um, Ask Why, you yeah. mentioned it came out of, 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 you know, the summer of 2020 with the murder of totally. George Floyd. So how, how did you come up with the idea for the show? Yeah, good question. Okay, so, so picture a bunch of like sad mimes sitting in their apartments sprinkled <laughs> around New York City. Uh, <laughs> and we're, we're, we run with a company model. So we have long-term relationships with people year after year. Right now we have 19 company members. Uh, some of them are in Denver, LA, and... Um, LA in Chicago. Um, sorry, Dinah, for forgetting that for one moment, just a moment. Um, anyway, but most of us are based in New York. We have 19 members. And uh, so we're kind of an artistic family, you know, in every show we work with different designers and collaborators, but that artistic family has been making work together for some time. So when we had uh, 12 canceled programs for 2020, um, which I know is, is small compared to some of our colleagues who had so much going on and, um, we were lucky that we were in a place where we could be quite nimble about our our programming. Um, those programs were a lot of tour programs and some kids work. And so we kind of got together over Zoom and said, what do we want to be making while we're, you know, out here just sticking with it and surviving and being with each other um, over, the, over Zoom. <laughs> and we decided to make a kids series on YouTube. Um, we have a channel called BKBX Kids on YouTube and it's super cute. Um, we have, we kind of shifted our energies from those kids shows that were canceled into these episodes, which are like four to seven minute episodes. There's some for toddlers, really little ones, and some for older kids. And some of them are totally nonverbal, which we love to do, particularly for kids who themselves are nonverbal or don't speak English. Um, there is some soundtracking, some sounds, but it's also quite accessible to deaf or hard of hearing kids. Um, so and, you know, kids whose parents or caregivers are any of the above so that they can connect over the same content, even when uh, um, even when some they have different abilities or access to English. So. In those series, in that series, we each episode was focused on an essential worker. So we were like, okay, this episode is become a zookeeper. That was the fun kind of start off, you know, become a chef, become a nurse. Um, and by the time we hit June 2020, we had a planned episode. But after what was going on in our in the streets, we decided to change it to become a protester. And um, we changed the other episodes around that. You know, they came out in a group of three. It was become a protester and also um, Black Lives Matter episode. In that 
preparation of that piece, we kind of did a, a little, as they say in the theater, postmortem afterwards and kind of had our post conversation and said, there's more here. We want to we want to research more and figure out where Broken Box's artistic voice fits into this conversation. And that led to a writing period of several months during which we saw the um, town hall on racial justice that was hosted by Sesame Street. And they interviewed a lot of kids who were asking really tough questions. And one of the kids was a nine-year-old named Sean who asked, and I'll paraphrase slightly, but he asked why for all that we've contributed to society are black people still treated badly here? And Van Jones had a nice answer and so did Big Bird. Um, But we also said, this question deserves a whole show and we feel like we can go deeper. And so that was what, that's the question that Regan, our lead, asks and puts into her own words at the beginning of our show, BKBX Kids Asks Why. And the mimes, she's the speaking kind of, she's the speaking lead of the show. At the beginning, she says, I got to use my words today. I know I'm a mime, but I just, today's a little different. So she speaks and the other four mimes, the ensemble, creates the environments of her question. So they begin by making the question with their hands, you know, above her head. And then describing, you can imagine these hands, you know, she says, my question is chaotic and they shoot, you know, their fists. My question is numb and their hands go soft, you know. And eventually she says, yeah, she looks at those, those that group of hands. She says, that's my question. And I, I feel brave today and I can't keep carrying that around and I need to go inside. So she steps inside of the question and we discover the different realms and worlds inside of it. She learns about the the lies and the stories that have been told that are not true in American history, like America was discovered. And she weeds out that flower and plants a new one when she's in the garden. She goes to a cave and learns about the history of dehumanization and experiences the big feelings that come with that. She climbs a ladder of um, out of that cave of black freedom fighters and starts to fly when she reaches the top and then at the end she sort of discovers what it looks like and the mimes illustrate with their bodies um, systemic racism and she identifies it figures out what that is and then learns about how collective action can, can fight can, can fight and disrupt that racism wherever it lives and at the end of the show we do sort of a silent dance party with the audience there's several interactive moments um, and it's it's actually the first long form. Tasha talked about our short form pieces. This is the first long form show we've ever done. It's 45 minutes to 50 minutes long, um, depending on the breadth of the audience and of our actors, you know. And uh, it's the first time we've, we've spent an entire show taking the route of one story. And we're very proud of it and excited for what it might bring up for all kinds of ages of, of audience members. Back up to Tasha. Tasha, how did you come up with the idea of Frankenstein? Or how did you all come up with the idea of Frankenstein? What was it like developing it all? Yeah. um, Well, you know, as I mentioned, we we work with... uh, our, our main stage shows are comprised of short pieces. And when we create those short pieces, um, we're always working from... Uh, we 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 affectionately term the geist, you know, the zeitgeist of what's going on in our lives, in our in our hearts and minds, what's going on in the world, and what's coming up for us as artists. Um, and and we we 
we often start our collaborative devising process from that place. And, and we, we throw a lot of images up. We do a lot of um, group brainstorming imagistically, of course, because we're working in a visual uh, medium. And so when we get into the rehearsal room together, um, some, sometimes we'll start with a word or a theme and we'll sort of throw a theme out there. Um, maybe that, you know, uh, for, for coming back to this show, the theme being monsters, for example. And then different members of the company will go uh, step into the into the space and and offer a physical, give a physical offering to the room of an idea of a monster, and then everyone will kind of riff on that, um, and and that takes us to to a really wide range of interpretations of a theme, um, and so sometimes we start with that theme, other times um, we 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 start from from a more broad sort of uh, collection of stories and then a theme emerges. So sometimes we'll kind of come from the theme or sometimes we'll come from, from, from just creating stories. And then, and then we kind of find out what the theme is later on. So, so a BKBX Frankenstein is one of those pieces where we're starting with the theme and we're asking ourselves, you know, what is a monster? Um, what are monsters in our, in our contemporary society? What are monsters to us personally? Um, what are the monsters we see around us? How do we grapple with, um, the things that we create. Uh, so we 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 dug into the text of Mary Shelley and we kind of brought out these themes that were interesting to us. And from there, we're comprising our um, our set list, if, if you will. Uh, Broken Box has been around for um, 11 years now. Um, wow. So we have a, uh, we have developed a repertoire of work of over, what do we say, Becky? Over a hundred, how many Over 175 pieces, yeah. So Not all of them will see the light of day again. I'll say, true. but, but many, <laughs> of we, many of them will we remount and reimagine on different bodies in different casts over time. Right. So that's part of this process as well, is that we look back at that at that collection and um, we are bringing back a few pieces that we haven't done in a long time that resonate with these themes. And that's really a powerful part of our process too, because we work with a company model and we're a group of artists who are working together over a longer period of time, not just a collection, that a group of artists who comes together to do one show, but a group of artists who, who are working together um, in the, in the long term, uh, revisiting some of our prior work really, as Becky mentioned, gives us the opportunity to develop it further, to look at it with fresh eyes, to let, um, to, to let, to let new parts of our world, like influence it. And then as Becky mentioned too, try it on new bodies. I think that's a big part of our work also because we're mimes. Um, the, we, we talk a lot about, about, um, performer identity and, and to what extent wearing that white makeup that we wear when we perform as mimes, to what extent does that make the performer um, one um, kind of a channel that is that is a little bit neutralized? And to what extent does that performer's identity come through? So, you know, we're talking about race, we're talking about gender identity, body shape, um, and, and the things an audience will see and, and to what extent we ask the audience to see those identity markers um, in our performance is a part of the storytelling and to what extent that sort of my makeup when we all wear that same makeup look and we all wear the same black, you know, um, neutral clothing, to what extent does that, does that kind of uh, make our identities less present as performers? Um, so, so trying on pieces that have been performed with, with different performers and then remounting them with, with new performers also gives us the opportunity to to dig into that, um, which is, I think, also thematically resonant, uh, resonant with, with Frankenstein. Uh, we wanted Bex, to jump feel, in. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was perfect, Tash. We wanted to feel like 
we we really love the idea that these pieces are kind of stitched together. Uh, that's mm -hmm. of course like a a very direct kind of literal idea of Frankenstein, but we love the idea that the show itself has been stitched together with things that are new, things that are old. Um, and when people come, they'll also have a piece like the sci-fi opera, which is like a cinematic romp, you know, and they'll also have like a very dark piece about a uh, very heavy, very heavy piece about um, climate change. It's, it's from our most recent show. That's the most recent one we're doing, I think, called a Co Our Corporate mm -hmm. Promise, where we watch a bunch of people in a corporate office. Uh, slowly, slowly that office um, fills with water. Uh, and oh. I won't give away the end, but it's quite dark. It's quite <laughs> heavy. So, um, <laughs> so, so there's going to be some very like um, kind of arresting things, and also very funny and joyful things. And that too should be like the Frankenstein experience, and really a hallmark of Broken Boxes shows. Um, yeah, yeah. And I think I think that's a good point too. And in our main stage work, we we really try to. Um, we enjoy uh, bringing out a lot of different colors in in our work. So it's uh, you 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 can expect. We hope that it, you come to to a BKBX Frankenstein and you do feel scared at times. You do feel um, maybe the kind of unease of of like these bigger themes, like Becky's talking about, like climate climate change and and um, and maybe that that unease. I, we hope that you have fun and kind of go on this like cinematic journey. Um, we also hope that you laugh. Like there's going to be some where we're uh, some creative decisions are still being made, but there's some very goofy, <laughs> goofy riffs on the theme that are also included in the set list. Um, and and yeah, we hope that you also you know feel your heartstrings tugged a little bit. And I think that's what's powerful about the about the short form medium is that we we can really authentically and fully go into all of those different colors because we are you know you're you're seeing a collection of short plays um so there can be one that has a very goofy theme and there can also be one that has like a very as becky mentioned um heavy and 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 heartstrings tugging uh core um and both of those can exist fully and it doesn't have to they don't have to be they're stitched together as she said it it's it's um it's a real uh, varied journey <laughs> Is there music used when you perform or is it done in silence? Oh yeah, there's music. So in okay. Ask Why, we're working with Jordan Young, who is a um, brilliant saxophone player. He plays saxophone ball times, but he's using two different saxes in this show and he's going to be playing live with also some of his compositions underneath. Um, and in Frankenstein, we're going to be working with Jack McGuire, who is a a friend of Broken Box, a, a, a resident, not that Jordan is, Jordan is a new friend, Jack is an old friend, um, <laughs> what we call a resident collaborator, which means we work together time and time again. And he, when you come to that show, it'll feel sort of like a DJ kind of working with us to to match the sounds and um, and songs with what we're doing. None of it has language in the music. Um, okay, yeah. If people come, yeah, if people come who are deaf or hard of hearing, um, or if you're just curious, we do do a music description uh, for those 
those folks who want to understand the tone that's being set by the music, but music or sound is never used as a storytelling device. That's always, that's part of our essentialized palette. You know, that's when, when you give restrictions to an artist, they get so creative. And that's one of the big parts of why we love mime is like, okay, no sound effects, no sense, no props. What happens if we just have to use our body? And that creative process is like so delicious and fascinating. Um, so the music adds a massive element to the show, but those musicians are really graceful about uh, supporting the storytelling without leaving it. I only ask because, I mean, whether it be silence or whether it be music, I'm just thinking about sitting through Frankenstein with a group of people and watching, particularly that climate change number, but the office. Right, right. With a group of people and just hearing everyone at the same time just go, <gasps> yes. Or, yeah. ha, 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 you know, it's the best. Oh my gosh, Andrew. Real, yeah. And you're, yeah. A, you're a performer too. You have a background in, in, in performance, Andrew, you said, and like that feeling when you connect with the audience is so fantastic. When I first did mime, I was like amazed that that feeling that you feel when you step onto the stage for me as a performer lasts the entire time of the show. It's like some, some tantric nonsense. It's like, it's incredible. It's like, you're really feeling that, that, that really co connected um, energy between the audience. Cause every gesture is a line. Every, yes. every lack of movement is a line, you know, of, of spoken text, the equivalent. And um, so you're very, you're very aware as a performer and when you hear the audience, respond it's a pretty magical thing and i almost want to say that like the audience this is the most engaged audience you'll ever have because the audience has to be constantly engaged because if they miss yes. one thing you're going to be lost you might yeah oh i didn't realize that that was it. yeah well because they did that you have to you can't check out you can't right. check out it's mm -hmm. why you know people think we're kind of pulling a branding thing or like a marketing thing when we're like see it more than once but we're we're, we're actually <laughs> it's actually the pe people do come back you know because you see something new every time yeah and uh and it's also so fun to leave the theater and have a conversation with the person you came with and say what did you see what is the message that you're hoping audiences will take away from your show and tasha let me start with you and let's ask about ask why great thank you yeah yeah um I think I think for asks why we really would love audience to take away um well because the show is is designed for intergenerational audiences I think we're really hoping that families will see the show together and come away with um a a a space to ask questions together um and 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 a and a, and and having witnessed um Regan who Becky mentioned is our central character she asks this difficult question and she's really spent some time um, going into it, investigating it, looking at it from different angles, uh, calling in her community um, to support her in that process. Uh, she also, I think, models um, doing a lot of caretaking for herself and the others she encounters along the way. There's there's lots of times that she, she pauses to check in with herself and her body and how she's doing. Um, she checks in with, with uh, her community around her, which, which is played by the mimes. Um, and, and I think that that, that models a way of questioning more than answering the question, which I think we do offer some, some really frank ideas about the answer to her question. I think that, that if, if I could say anything that I want audiences to walk away from, it's, it's that model of, of asking big questions, um, entering them with a full heart, uh, investigating them fully, 
with community and with self-care um, and compassion at the center. And then to the other show, Frankenstein, uh, Becky, what is the message or thought you're hoping audiences will take away from that? Yeah, I want audiences, as with every Broken Box show, I want audiences to feel empowered, feel an empowered imagination. I think there are, especially when we talk about the themes within this show, the monsters we create, we can all feel very overwhelmed at times with what we see around us and all the things that are broken in our society. I think few of the, all of those things would be helped by a little more creativity and a little more imagination and collective experience, feeling empathy for the other, feeling connected to the people beside you um, as you embark on an imaginative creative process to try to solve the problems around us. So this show both shows us some of those problems in a fun or heavy or interesting light. And it also is a creation of empathic experience, which we hope is in every theatrical experience, but we really, really um, think mime has this fantastic under, like you said before, Mm -hmm. under celebrated secret doorway to shared empathic experience that happens in the theater when all the imaginations are working together to create the story in real time. Yes. Well, wrapping up this first part of the interview, um, I want to ask, who do you hope have access to the show? And why don't I stick with you, Becky, in regards to Frankenstein? Who do you hope have access to that show? Yeah. Um, oh, oh, so many people. Uh, like we said before, <laughs> we want <laughs> we want the, the people who typically come to our shows, the, the bulk of the audience, centerpiece of the audience, are people who are interested in what's new and innovative in the performing arts scene. What we put together is um, definitely, definitely, of course, um, some French pantomime techniques and also dance and also cinema and also puppetry and also poetry. And, you know, there's so, so much that we sort of put together into our version, what we, what I like to call a house blend of technique, (laughs) of mime technique and style. So we hope that those folks come and see what we're cooking up. Um, We also want to make sure that people who don't speak English are are, are invited if you have a family member or a friend who's either who, who, for whom English isn't their first language and that keeps them from seeing theater bring them to Frankenstein um, if you have friends who are into spooky stuff bring them to Frankenstein we'll have at least one relaxed performance though all of our shows we encourage people to move their bodies make noise and go in and out of the theater but for those who really prefer that that's um that's uh, articulated as the norm when people buy tickets. We will have at least one of our three performances designated as a relaxed performance um, for people to make noise in the theater uh, or bring their young babies or whatever you need to do. Um, And we also hope our our friends in the deaf community and hard of hearing community come to our show. who am I missing, Tasha? I, we, we'll have, um, for people who are, do come who are hard of hearing or deaf, um, we will have a written version of the curtain speech um, ready and also um, interpretation by request in ASL. But um, we no words are spoken throughout the rest of it. Tasha, anything I forgot there in terms of access? Um, no, I think that's great. Um, yeah, like I think you mentioned the neuro- neurodiverse community is, is really welcome at our shows. And um and I think, yeah, as we mentioned at the top of the podcast, uh, a BKBX Frankenstein is is an adult show. It's it's written for an adult audience. We like to say adventurous 12 and up, though. Mm-hmm. So we do welcome um, young people to come. But it, it, the themes are adult themes. And um, 
and it's uh, it's designed for adult audiences. Though though, of course, we don't we don't restrict. <laughs> we we would welcome kids to come with their families as well as long as, as long as their parents are comfortable with it. And come if you love mime, and come if you think mime is super corny. You know, yeah. come if you're curious. Come if you if you've written it off. Like see see what it's like to to have a medium and your idea of it transform in front of your eyes. It's pretty fantastic. And come if you've seen our work before. And, and, and of course, if you haven't, I think that, like we said, there's going to be some pieces in the show that, that longtime fans of our work will have seen before, but they'll be completely recontextualized and they'll, they'll also be some new material as well. Um, yeah. Would you say that you I want the same access for kids ask why? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, um, for BKBX Kids Asks Why does contain language. There's, um, as we mentioned, Regan, the the central character, she uses words. Uh, so so English language is incorporated into that that piece, whereas it's not in Frankenstein. We do um, we do offer ASL interpretation uh, to make our shows accessible to the deaf community when there is language included. Um, so that's that's one piece uh, for for folks who for whom English is not their first language. I would say that's one of it's it's not as accessible. And but there's also you know the story as as Becky mentioned. I think that. Um, we're really interested in in balancing the storytelling that's done physically in that show with the language. So there's a lot of physical storytelling that's done without any language at all. It's not, it's not, um, and there's only one person who speaks, uh, but that is a difference between the two pieces that there is language in BKBX Kids Asks Why. And I would also just, just reiterate the intergenerational intention of that show. I think that when we do work for kids, a lot of times we're asked, well, what's the age range? And I'm an educator myself. I've worked in, in lower elementary education um, and so I do completely understand that the the language and the and the content that I use when I'm talking to first graders is different than the language and content that I use when I even talk to second graders or third graders or fourth. And those those developmental steps, especially with young children, um, really matter. And 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 there are different things that that kids at different ages are ready for. And and I and I will say that that we really have have maintained our dedication to this show being intergenerational, and and we really. Um, want people of different ages to take away what they can from it you know depending on where they are developmentally and i think different adults are at different ages and different stages are are ready for different different content and different language as well so i think i i think that um it's really doing what we asked it to do and we're continuing to get feedback from young people from kids from families um of what they're taking away and, and what conversations and language is coming out out of it um so i think i think that the access there i think is is really built in for kids you know um we said that 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 fifth grade sort of 10, 10 years old is, is kind of the center point that we aimed for. But we really hope that those kids come with their younger siblings, come with their parents, come with their grandparents so that they can sit around the dinner table maybe later and say, OK, that word dehumanization. And they can ask the five-year-old, what did you understand about that word? When when Regan was in the cave and she said she felt really small and really lonely and she was learning about dehumanization, what do you take away from that? And, and then, you know, we can ask our grandparents the same question. And it's it's a really important thing to reflect on as a society. And I think we can do it with people of all different ages. And it's important, too. Well, I want to 
switch gears now and give our listeners a chance to get to know you two now. And I want to start by asking you both what shows, composers, playwrights do you love or have inspired you? And Tasha, why don't we start with you first? Oh, wow. What a great question. Well, I'll start. um, I think one of my favorite things that I've seen recently was um, Will Arbery's play, um, Corsicana. I really... I like his, I love his use of language. I love um, some of the themes that he works with. I, I've really enjoyed seeing his work in New York recently. Um, so that's a playwright that comes to mind. Uh, I was also thinking about, um, I'm a huge fan of forced entertainment. They're a company out in the UK and they make really innovative work that uh, I think really sort of is um, inter, uh, what am I saying? It's, it uses more than one medium. It's, it's cross-disciplinary, maybe you could say. Um, I think it innovates with the form of theater and, um, and sort of breaks some of the rules, which I have found, I have found really inspiring. So look them up if you haven't heard of them. My, I think the, the moment my mom wrote it down, I think when I called her and I was like, I have to be an actor was when I saw Radio Golf, um, August Wilson's play on Broadway, which had too short her run. It blew my mind so much. Yeah. Every time, every time I've seen his work, my heart um, explodes. Um, And uh, I think in terms of what's going on in the downtown scene here in New York, I think Blessed Unrest does really beautiful work. I'll give them a shout out. Um, They're another devised company and I I really appreciate their, um, their work. And and I will say, Tasha will laugh because I bring this up every time, but when someone asks me why I do what I do and ask if I have any texts about mine to read, I always put them um, toward uh, Understanding Comics, which is a, uh, a book about, uh, uh, by Scott McCloud, which is about um, how to, the, the theory and design of comic book writing and, and illustration. And it's the most accurate description of mime I've ever read, <laughs> my version of mime. It's, it's fantastic and taught me a lot about my own art form. So uh, I'll give that book a shout out too. Amazing. Now, I know that you two have been really busy, but have either of you seen any great theater that you might be able to suggest to our listeners? Tasha, what have we seen? I, I also saw Will's show recently, which I, I saw totally Cost loved. of Living on Broadway. I thought that was beautiful. Martina Mayo's mm-hmm. Cost of Living. I saw that recently and loved it. Um, and I I hadn't seen it. But I, 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 I haven't seen this, this version of it, but I, I saw it at Williamstown. Um, the Raisin um, in the Sun, the Raisin in the Sun that Robert O'Hara uh, directed. I really felt very. I mean, I when I saw it at Williamstown, I felt really affected by that production, and I thought, I think he's doing really um, powerful work with that play. Uh, and I've heard great things about it at the public now. I haven't been able to see it because I've been out of town since it <laughs> since it opened. But I I know some folks on the creative team there and heard great things. I also, they're about to open hashtag crazy land um, over in Astoria. Those are my pals over at Headwall Theater Company. And I really respect the way that they run their organization, which I, I have to admit, I'm a consultant with them. So I am biased, but I can't wait to see their show. Tasha, I want to start with you on this question. What is your favorite mm-hmm. part about working in the theater? Ooh. Um, making something from nothing, I think. Um Everybody being in the same room, uh, of course, feels even more poignant these days. But I think I would have said that before the pandemic, too. I think that was, you know, if yeah, when I, I remember, yeah, my sort of first time being on stage and 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 falling in love with it as a kid. I remember that was my thought was like every person in this room is in on the same joke at the same time. And that is 
that is really, really special. You don't, you don't get that um, anywhere else. I think mm -hmm. uh, where, where, where everybody's having the same experience, even if it's a room of a hundred strangers, you know, I think that's really unique and special. Agreed. Yeah, Becky. I have to say the same thing, Andrew. I mean, as, as one of my best friends in the whole world, Tasha and I have to agree on most things. So I'll say the same. I mean, I think, I think my, I've, I've learned over time, you know, the thing that links all the parts of my life, my, my, my purpose in relationship, my purpose with my family, what gives me meaning in the theater, in nature, in, <laughs> in, in teaching is invisible things. I'm very committed to invisible things, which is <laughs> literal, which I, I'm talking, you know, with mime, you can imagine me with an invisible prop or something, but also that connection between people that makes us feel like time and space is is quite malleable and, and glittery and alive. So that happens for me in the theater most often. It's why it's my temple and I love it. I love it. Well, winding things down, I'm excited to ask my favorite question. I'm going to start with Becky, which is what is your favorite theater memory? My favorite theater memory. Okay. I was in fifth grade. I was uh, Maria in The Sound of Music, only in Act One. My arch nemesis was in Act Two. I hope she's not listening to this right now. We, you know, split cast Maria's. Okay. And uh, I took off my habit. And I looked at the back of the theater and I was like, oh my God, get this. I'm going to imagine hills while I sing the hills are alive. <laughs> and, that was, and that was like a, a revelation for me. Like I found that, like I found, you know, the, the, the reason, the reason to be on a stage, you know, you imagine the thing and the audience believes it because you believe it. And then, you know, Five years before that, when I, that was 10, right? Five years before that, I saw Crazy for You on Broadway with my family. And after the show, I, I started to cry and cry and cry and ask them to rewind it. Rewind, rewind. Because I had never seen a play like that before. And I, you know, when you watch Free to Be You and Me, you can rewind it from the beginning and watch the thing again. But I didn't understand that you couldn't do that. And, um, and that's why, that's the purpose. It's why I love the theater. It's what Tasha and I were talking about. So I like that memory, which I still have, you know, it's, I was young, I was fat. I remember um, asking the, the person selling things if they had a recording with my mom, you know, my mom saying, let's ask if they have a recording so you can rewind it. But of course, ironically, it's why I love the theater. Oh, that's beautiful. Tasha, how about you? What's your favorite theater memory? I think I have to, I, it has to be a, it has to be an early mime days memory. I, um, Becky and I, <laughs> Becky and I started miming when we were in undergrad and um, there was a student led uh, mime group there. That's how, that's how I found my way in and, and Becky as well. Um, and my roommate, my, my dear roommate from, from college uh, was not, was not really a theater goer, but would always come to support our shows and my shows. And um I think it was our senior year. We did this show where uh, one of the mind pieces I played the part of a, a guardian angel who falls in love with her mortal counterpart and decides to to tear out her wings and jump down to earth and, and become mortal to 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 have a chance to to encounter her her love sort of on equal footing. Um, so so of course this piece included. Um, 
it was completely in mime. There was no language whatsoever, no props, no any, no costume or anything, but I used my hands and my body to indicate that I had these magnificent wings that I then decided to sacrifice and pull well, And side note, side note, you have to say that it was written by Jesse Cohn, K-O-H-N, who's now a very, very successful writer. Uh, exactly. And also, also it ended in this like gorgeous way where she falls to earth and then he doesn't recognize her. It was like, yeah, okay, he, anyway, sort, of, ahead, he sort of isn't. Yeah. He, I, I'm, I kind of like make this huge decision and fall to earth and then he's, he's kind of oblivious. <laughs> um, but yes, Jesse Cohen celebrated writer. Uh, but yeah, so, so we did this piece and, and um, you know, being in college, I was, I was very, uh, you know, um, dedicated to my performance of those wings. It was, I, it was, it was dramatic, I will say, but <laughs> my roommate, my roommate saw the performance and, um, uh, about, you know, congratulated me and everything. And, and then, you know, we didn't talk about it much, uh, for the subsequent days. And about a whole week later, she called me on the phone and I answered and she was in a bit of a panic and she said, listen, I'm on this, I'm on this scavenger hunt and, and I need wings do you have the wings from your show? And I thought to myself that she was talking about the legs, like the curtains from the sides of the stage. So I went with her and I was like, well, you know, we did, we took those legs down. like, they're in storage. I don't think that we could get them to you. And she was like, but is there any way I could get the wings? Because that would complete the scavenger. And we, anyway, we had like about, you know, a five minute conversation about wings before I realized that she was talking about a mimed, object she was talking she had believed in her head that the wings from my angel wings in that mime story were so real that she could call me on the phone a whole week later and ask if I could physically give them to her (laughs) that's incredible it was wild oh (laughs) that's so magical I love that uh, yeah yeah Yes, hold on to that memory. Yeah, she she really saw them, you know? She really saw them. <laughs> so are there any projects or productions that that um, that your company, Broken Box Mime, or or you guys as well have that coming down the pipeline that we can uh, plug for you guys? Yeah, we have this show in November, of course. And then on the 12th of December, that is a Monday night, we do our annual Black and White Ball which is like a party celebration. It's a fundraiser. It's also a performance, uh, food and drink on the house. And we're going to be at the Green Building in Gowanus. We've done that. This is our 10th thing, black and white ball. Um, and everyone wears black and white. And it's like so fun. Um, so do come, do come through for the black and white ball. Everyone's invited. Um, and then we're going to be hopping around all sorts of places. If people are listening in, Boston, Philadelphia, um, uh, Modine, East Modine, Modine, Modine. We're going to be hopping around a lot in the in the new year. So keep in touch with us on our website and see if we're going to be coming to you. Um, and there's always stuff, you know, in, in this day and age and with a small theater company, which I'm sure you're learning, Andrew, as you like talk to some of us off Broadway um, theater companies, we don't really have a season that we create at the top of the year. We're really, most of us are, are dynamically changing those those offerings as opportunities come up and less than a year in advance. So keep in touch with us as we announce things through the year and there definitely will be performances. But I will say, come to see Frankenstein, come to see Asks Why. 
those are going to be our our like New York performances for the rest of the year, other than the black and white ball where we will perform. So please come through to that. Um, but if you've been meaning to see Broken Box, uh, or if you if you have if you're already a fan and you want to see our next show, that's it. Um, it. Like Becky mentioned, we're going to be um, out of town a lot in the spring. So if you want to catch us, now is your chance. Cancel your other plans. Come to the 14th Street Y and see a Broken Box Frankenstein. Yes. <laughs> Well, that leads me to my final question, which is if our listeners want to get more information about these two shows or about Broken Box Mime Theater, or they want to get more information about the two of you and reach out to you all, how can they do that? Yeah, yeah. check us out on Instagram. We're at, bro- at, um, at Broken Box Mime. Um, also, our website, www.brokenboxmime.com is, is up to date with our information. Um, we also just, we love connecting with people. So feel free to send us an email. Our, our email address is on our website. Um, and and it, it goes to Becky. Uh, and uh, we, we, we love meeting people and, and hearing about how you'd like to connect with us. So, so don't hesitate to reach out. Um, also join our e-list. There's a link on our website. We don't send out a ton of e-blasts, but you would certainly will hear from us when we have something coming up. And that's a great way to just make sure that you're in the know and you have the links to tickets and things like that. Um, so, so, so bring us to your inbox. Is there any other ways, Becky, that people should stay in touch? Well, I, I would just say we also have an open invitation for people who are musicians who want to work with physical storytellers, people who want to audition for us, who want to do um, who want to learn with us. We do workshops. We'll be doing a series in January. People who are kind of interested in the art form want to bring us to their school. Any any ideas that come up for you throughout this interview, tell us about it. You know, even if you don't have a question and just want to chat, we're here. For well, Tasha, Becky, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down and speak with me today all the way across the country. Uh, mm-hmm. This has been such such a blast learning about what you all do, learning about the amazing art form of mime and these incredible shows that you're doing. So thank you so much. Thank you, Andrew. Andrew. We'll see you in November. Yes. (laughs) My guests today have been Becky Baumwall and Tasha Milkman, who are the artistic director and associate artistic director, as well as performers with Broken Box Mime Theater. Their shows, BKBX Kids Ask Why and BKBX Frankenstein, will be performed in rep November 17th through the 20th at Theater at the 14th Street Y. And you can get tickets and more information at brokenboxmime.com. You can also follow them on Instagram at brokenboxmime uh, to stay up to date with all the many projects and productions that they have going on. And visit their website, brokenboxmime.com, to find out all the information as well. And, and get, get on board with the black and white ball that's coming up on the 12th of December and be sure to support this company. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies, and keep your masks on. And keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. 
Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you'll find all the information about our backstage pass. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you. Hello.